Before we start the show, do not forget to check out NPR's Fresh Air, the podcast slash radio show hosted by Terry Gross. One of her interviews this week is with actor Michael K. Williams, who played Omar on The Wire, now appearing in the HBO miniseries The Night Of. Get subscribed at npr.org slash podcast or on the NPR One app. All right, time for the show. Hey, y'all. It's the NPR Politics Podcast, back with day two from the Democratic National Convention here in Philadelphia. Things were a bit calmer than last night, but still not totally calm. There was a big state-by-state roll call of delegate votes, and Hillary Clinton got the delegates she needed to make history and become the first female presidential candidate of a major American political party. We'll talk about all of this. I'm Sam Sanders, campaign reporter. I'm Susan Davis. I cover Congress, and this week, the convention. I'm Domenico Montanaro, political editor. All right. So, hey-o, 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 from the tippy-top of the Wells Fargo Center in Philadelphia. How are you guys liking Philly so far? I love Philly. It's my I hometown. really do. I was born here. Wait, where in Philly? Northeast Philly. West Philadelphia, born and raised? Northeast Philadelphia. <laughs> born and raised. Uh, my dad's a retired Philadelphia police detective. Wow. There you mm-hmm. go. I, I've thoroughly enjoyed Philadelphia. I took a nice run down Market Street from the water yeah. over here all the way down past City Hall and like Drexel. It's beautiful. This is a beautiful city. It's a good town. Though the problem with conventions is now with all the security perimeters, it just can be like a nightmare getting around the town. Yeah. But the town itself is awesome. Yeah. Uh, all right. So anyway, let's hear some tape of the big night following the roll call of the vote where DNC chair Marsha Fudge made this thing official. All in favor of the motion say aye. So in that moment, history was made. Yeah? Yeah. I was on the floor. It was really cool. One, I think we've established my love of the roll call of states. It's as, so, it makes me <laughs> it's feel warm and gushy. It's my favorite part about conventions. And so the, I loved it baseline. Um, but yeah, America made history tonight. The first woman was nominated to be a presidential uh, candidate for a major party. I stood on the floor. The, we're looking down at the floor. I stood, I was happened to be standing with the Illinois delegation. And the woman that uh, offered the votes for the state was a woman named Betsy Ebeling. Hello, fellow Democrats. On this historic, wonderful day. And she was a grade school classmate of Hillary Clinton's. And she... I remember that. Yeah. She got emotional. This one's for you, Hill. 98 votes. Yes. And she did. And we we talked to her later. And there are 15, according to Betsy, there are 15 classmates of Hillary Clinton's from grade school at this convention. And it was nice to talk to them. You do realize that, especially for uh, Betsy, I believe, is about 68 years old. Mm -hmm. And that I think for women of that age group, I think who were more of the glass ceiling breakers, you know, younger women benefited from the work that they did in the workplace and in politics and other places. Uh, This was incredibly uh, poignant for them. We saw a lot of older women crying on the floor. I think they understood how, what hard work it was to get here, maybe more than younger women did. So it was really interesting to sort of watch the women reaction on the floor. And it was the first really, really positive moment outside of Michelle Obama's speech last night, of course, on the floor. This is when it really felt like Hillary Clinton had had the room. Well, there was a coda to that, but we'll get to that later. Yeah. But Domenico. And you heard some no's there. Uh, certainly, though, they were overwhelmed. It wasn't quite like the rules and uh, you know platform uh, stuff yesterday where you saw overwhelming Bernie Sanders cheers and supporters. Some of them wound up exiting and leaving, and you wound up with a much more pro-Clinton uh, crowd. I was up here 
doing what I do, which was, uh, you know, figuring out the math and when she was going to go so over the top. So which state took, took her over? Uh, it was South Dakota that uh, we kind of gamed out. Danielle Kurtzleben here, one of our digital reporters, brought up a spreadsheet, and we were sort of quickly gaming it out to figure out where she would go over, how it would get there. Hillary Rodham Clinton. South Dakota, you have cast 15 votes. For and luckily, we hit the math right. Uh, so here's the big speech of the night, Bill Clinton. Here's how it started. In the spring of 1971, I met a girl. The first time I saw her, we were, appropriately enough, in a class on political and civil rights. And before we get to more of that, uh, what do you guys think of it? My favorite factoid about Clinton's speech tonight is that uh, Democratic officials said that as of about an hour before he was going on stage, they still hadn't seen his script. That's Bill. <laughs> so in that sense, I think it was classic Bill Clinton. Okay. It was certainly well received in the room. Yes. After the class, I followed her out, intending to introduce myself. I got close enough to touch her back, but I couldn't do it. Somehow I knew this would not be just another tap on the shoulder. He's trying to present this sort of softer side of Clinton. They're trying to do everything, right? Like, to, and, and what last night she's a she's the tough, she's strong, and tonight she's a wife, she's a mother. Yeah. A lot of the uh, talk of the, a lot of the focus of Bill Clinton's speech tonight was all the work she's done on behalf of children. Mm -hmm. So in 1974, I went home to teach in the law school, and Hillary moved to Massachusetts to keep working. To keep working on children's issues. But here's the thing, and I'm, I know that I can't be the only person that felt this. Given Bill Clinton's history, it made me think of all of the scandal of the 90s as soon as I hear him start talking about wooing his wife. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, he had he did he did sort of skip over, you know, well, the late nineties. Well, he was like in 1972 and 73 and 74, and he's like, and then Barack Obama was elected president, and she said, you know, <laughs> and then it, there was this chunk of speech where people were like, where is this going? And then yeah. he just kind of glossed over his own White House. I think part mm, of that too was about was to be like, it's not about me. Right. Let's well, focus on also, her career. Lots of Democrats in this election season have been questioning his record during those eight years. They've questioned things like the crime bill yeah. and welfare reform. Yeah, but I think the people in this room, they love Bill Clinton. I mean, they he, do. he has, remember, he left office with sky-high approval ratings. Yeah. Uh, Democrats still have very warm sentiments toward him. The people in this room have very warm sentiments to, uh, toward him. You know, I thought the back half of his speech was much stronger yes. as far as, you know, the action, the urgency, uh, the kind of policy backbone that she's always uh, projected. So let's get to the meat of his case for Hillary Clinton with this clip right here. She's insatiably curious. She's a natural leader. She's a good organizer. And she's the best darn change maker I ever met in my entire life. So, look, this is a really important point. This is a really important point for you to take out of this convention. If you believe in making change from the bottom up, if you believe the measure of change is how many people's lives are better, you know it's hard and some people think it's boring. Speeches like this are fun. Actually doing the work is hard. So people say, well, we need to change. She's been around a long time. She sure has. And she's sure been worth every single year she's put into making people's lives better. 
That one really got to the crowd. The notion of pitching Hillary Clinton as a change maker <laughs> is fascinating when I think she is so strongly identified as like a status quo politician that I don't think that, you know, change makers are new and disruptive and different and trying to pitch her as someone who's an agent of change. I think that's a hard sell. But I think what they're trying to do is say it's possible to be a change agent and still do the due diligence. Yeah, I mean, look, the thing is, there's a lot of people who trust Bill Clinton, who voted for Bill Clinton. You know, I think about those white working class guys who Donald Trump is trying to appeal to. And there's people on the left who supported Bernie Sanders. So when people say status quo, a lot of folks think that status quo has to do with something that never changes, right? And Bill Clinton in 1992, he ran on change. He knew that change had to be something that people wanted to hear. He knows that. That's what he's trying to do in this speech and say that Hillary Clinton is somebody, when she looks at issues, she's trying to think, how do we improve this? How do we move it forward? How do we, you know, make it better than it was and make the case that that's not status quo, that's trying to affect positive change. And so he also got to this moment, Bill Clinton did, after he had kind of told Hillary's life story, where he asked why that version of Hillary Clinton does not square with the one so many Americans think they know. How does this square? How does this square with the things that you heard at the Republican convention? What's the difference in what I told you and what they said? How do you square it? You can't. One is real, the other is made up. Is it the, I mean, he did get into this as well, is that it's this contrast of Hillary Clinton and that she is a highly unpopular in public opinion ratings right now, but that in the course of her life, when you talk to the people that have worked with her or served with her, she gets incredibly high marks from, her, from people that actually know her, and including Republicans. You know, I did a story earlier this year about her time in the Senate, and I tried to find Republicans who would be critical of her. And across the board, they all said she was diligent and hardworking. And Democrats say, you know, they, Republicans only don't like Hillary Clinton when she's running for something. And people will say all the time that she is the most famous politician in the world that no one actually knows. I'm not sure if I agree with that, but I do think she's the kind of politician where you can kind of see what you want in her. Um, and I'm not sure how she shakes that and creates an image that is universally accepted as the truth of Hillary Clinton. Well, yeah. you start it with having this kind of Democratic star power of this yeah. week. You start with having a Michelle Obama deliver the kind of speech she did. You have a Bill Clinton come in, a former president, try to round out the story, try to build her as better than him. And then you'll have, again, Vice President Biden, President Obama, who can make the case who everyone in this in this stadium will uh, completely be wrapped listening to because he's the president. He's a the guy they voted for twice. That's a lot of star power that the other side did not have. Yeah. So let's hear how Bill Clinton closed his speech out tonight. I hope you'll do it. I hope you'll elect her. Those of us who have more yesterdays than tomorrow tend to care more about our children and grandchildren. The reason you should elect her is that in the greatest country on earth, we have always been about tomorrow. Your children and grandchildren will bless you forever if you do. God bless you. Thank you. So he's a person who, you know, had his speech in 1996 talking about the 21st century and the, the, you know, the road to the 21st century. He's always been that positive, optimistic Democrat looking toward 
you know, tomorrow, looking toward the future. And he talked about those who, you know, have more yesterdays uh, than tomorrow's. You know, a little bit of a parting speech from Bill Clinton. Yeah. So, Bill speaks. There's quiet on the stage. You think it's going to be over. And then come at the Alicia Keys. Tonight is an incredible night. That was her second song. Alicia Keys sings. Because love will always win. Then this like kind of cheesy music comes on, and you see all of these previous presidents flashing on the jumbotron. President, president, president. Oh flash, yeah, they do flash, all, flash. All, all, yes. all the presidents show up. And Which, by then, the way, hilarious that they were like, they, when they got to the presidents that people in this room knew, <laughs> because you go back to yeah. the 1800s, they, they were like, like who is this? They're like, you know, and then they were like, Bill Clinton, yeah. George W. Bush. Oh, stop talking. Yeah. Like they were like. <laughs> <laughs> After Obama, there's this like glass thing that comes up, and the glass shatters. shatters. And there is actually Hillary Clinton, and then she talks to everybody. Hello, Philadelphia. I am so happy. It's been a great day and night. What an incredible honor that you have given me. And then the, she talks and she says, you know, tonight you nominated me to be the first female president, but to any little girls out there still watching. And if there are any little girls out there who stayed up late to watch, let me just say, I may become the first woman president, but one of you is next. Thank you all. I can't wait to And the video pans out and you and see, what do we her see surrounded by young women. I imagine that's an image that we'll probably see in the coverage of tonight. And I think that is a very effective messaging. Uh, to me, like the focus on women tonight was part of a bigger argument we saw tonight that Democrats are saying, like, we are the big tent party. Mm -hmm. We are the party that's inclusive. And, you know, a lot of voters in this country have already made up their mind, but the ones that will decide this election haven't yet. And, you know, if you're looking at the two parties and saying, which tent do you want to go under, this is the argument they're making. And tonight, of course, you know, they nominated the Democratic Party as the party that nominated the first woman. Uh, it's the party that had the first transgender speaker at a convention. There was uh, voices from millennials on the stage tonight, from people with disabilities, a lot of the marginalized groups that Donald Trump has made disparaging comments about in the course of the campaign. And in some ways, they, they addressed him directly from the podium, but in some ways it was more s s subtle than that, than just giving these people a microphone and a voice and saying, like, you are part of this party and you, we are not marginalized here. And that was part of this, like, broader umbrella argument that I saw on the floor tonight is having uh, all of these people come out in a certain order that it was like the diversity. To, diversity to me was the, the theme yes. of tonight that you yeah. saw on stage. So let's go back a bit in the night to another big moment when a group called Mothers of the Movement took the stage. These are mothers who have lost children to gun violence or police action. They uh, took the stage to chants of Black Lives Matter. Which was in direct contrast to what we heard last week in Cleveland, the RNC, when there were chants of All Lives Matter and Blue Lives Matter. Uh, Trayvon Martin's mother was there, Jordan Davis's mother, Sandra Bland's mother, Geneva Reed Veal, she spoke. So many of our children are gone, but they are not forgotten. I am here with Hillary Clinton tonight. Because she is a leader and a mother who will say our children's names. 
And like you were just saying, too, this is another moment where you saw how this convention just looked very different than what we saw last week. Yeah, I mean, one thing that I was wondering about coming into this convention, given all the Blue Lives Matter uh, talk at the Republican convention, was how were Democrats, how are Democrats going to deal with the issue of law enforcement? Well, you know, what I saw tonight that was interesting. Mm -hmm. On the same night where they had Black Lives Matter mothers here, they also spent a long time talking about first responders after the Twin Towers yep. fell. And it was a direct plea, I think, to law, to law enforcement. But we, mm -hmm. when we talk about points of contrast on this, I mean, tonight we heard from the mothers of the movement. And if you remember back in Cleveland, uh, on one of the evenings, I can't remember which night it was, but on one of the evenings, there were news broke that the last officer in charge in the Freddie Gray case uh, was acquitted and he wasn't charged with anything. And they announced that news from the podium and the room cheered. And I can't think of two more polarizing moments oh, to yeah. put them side by side of not only are they not having the same conversation, they're living in two alternate universes and how to look at this thing. Well, like imagine if somebody in this room tonight began to chant all lives matter or blue lives matter. They would have been booed out of the hall. And imagine if last week someone went in there to the RNC and chanted black lives matter. They would have been booed out it, of the hall. Well, that was ridiculed. I mean, it was ridiculed yes. by people yeah. on stage. Yeah. Um, you know, Rudy Giuliani comes to mind in talking about, you know, how uh, it's not Black Lives Matter. It's not white lives. It's not It's yeah. it's all lives, right? Which was a mistake, by the way, that Hillary Clinton had made early on in her candidacy when she went to Ferguson or outside Ferguson to talk uh, to some of the folks affected. Yeah. Got to be fair to say that the mothers of the movement did take care to say that the majority of police are good people. The majority of police officers are good people doing a good job. And we're asking, and we're also going to keep using our voices and our votes to support leaders like Hillary Clinton, yeah. who will help us protect one another so that this club of heartbroken mothers stops growing. Another group that we heard from uh, tonight was Planned Parenthood. We heard from their president, Cecile Richards. Uh, she said this. Donald Trump has called women fat pigs and dogs. He wants to punish women for having abortions. And he says pregnancy is, quote, an inconvenience for a woman's employer. Well, Mr. Trump, come this November, women are going to be a lot more than an inconvenience. Yep. Because Women are going to be the reason you're not elected to be president. I mean, look, like, if we're, as we just talked about the Black Lives Matter movement, part of that conversation hits on the racial gap we're seeing in this election. And Cecile Richards' comments hits on the gender gap we're seeing mm -hmm. in this election. That in order for the Democratic Party to win, they need incredibly high turnouts of women and minorities. And on the reverse side, on the Republican side, Donald Trump's strategy to win is to have incredibly high turnout among white voters. And that polarization and those competing strategies were very much on display tonight. Yeah. Um, all right, let's back up to the start of the evening. Tuesday began with the roll call, my favorite part of these conventions. Uh, it's where every state has their delegates right. get up, officially cast their votes. Sounds a bit like this. Alabama! You have 60 votes. How do you cast your votes? And then someone from the state gets up and talks about all the great things that make their state great. Thank you, Madam Secretary. 
the state of Alabama has champions not only in football, but we have champions in civil rights. And the votes are officially cast. And we cast proudly 50 champion votes for Secretary Hillary Rodham Clinton. Uh, they go alphabetically, and when they get to the Democrats abroad, which represents people who are living outside of the United States, we heard from a Bernie bro, a real, live Bernie bro. Our delegates from around the world include Larry Sanders, the big brother of Bernie Sanders. And it got really, really sweet. Bernie Sanders' brother, Larry, he oh, actually I lives see in the UK. Did there. A bro, like brother, an actual a little while. Bernie bro. Hey, 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 listen. Like the original Bernie bro. Mm -hmm. We're here with you, man. Nicely done. <laughs> uh, okay, so Bernie Sanders' brother Larry actually lives in the UK. So he gave this very, very sweet speech about his brother and talked about how proud his parents would be of him. Um, it it was very touching. It was a nice moment. They love the New Deal of Franklin Roosevelt. And we'd be especially proud that Bernard is renewing that vision. It is with enormous pride that I cast my vote for Bernie Sanders. Aww. So Larry's crying, Bernie's misting up, it's something. So anyways, this goes on and on all the way through all the states and territories until Vermont. Vermont, how do you cast your 26 votes? Vermont passes. Vermont passed because well because Bernie Sanders is from Vermont and they wanted to go at the he wanted to go at the end to have all of the states do their roll call add up the delegates and then he could say that he wanted unanimously for the delegates in the okay. hall. It's kind of like let's all like vacate yeah. the roll call and we just all agree that she's the nominee. It's a sign of party unity. Gotcha. Madam Chair, I move that the convention suspend the procedural rules. I move that all votes all votes cast by delegates be reflected in the official record. And I move that Hillary Clinton be selected as the nominee of the Democratic Party for President of the United States. That was very classy of him. There it was. was. There was so much orchestration that happened, and it really went off exactly how the Clinton campaign would have wanted it to. I mean, they had to be holding their breath just a little bit after how everything had gone the first uh, day and a half. But I have to say, you know, it's really interesting that Bernie Sanders wanted to wait to the end for Vermont to be put, uh, you know, t so that all of the states could cast their votes. But he's always said, like in the primaries too, every state should get a chance to vote. Yeah, but guess what? Like the point of putting someone in by acclamation. It nullifies the difference. Right, and the fact was like, she had already crossed it by it the time. Symbolic. It was I symbolic. I get it, I no get it. No question, it was symbolic. It was a move, you know, that showed unity, but also gave something to Bernie Sanders that he really wanted. So is this unity? Is the party now unified? Well, I think you can say that you have to give Bernie Sanders credit for doing what he did and knowing, you know, not that long ago there was a conversation of whether he would even be willing to go this far at the convention and, and rally around her, and he did. In that sense, yes. I mean, her strong, the guy that almost won the nomination very gracefully not only endorsed her but gave 
a great speech saying why he, she should be the candidate. That's hard for candidates to do. You know, and what was how many delegates did he had? Forty some percent of the delegates. Forty six percent of the yeah. pledge, I mean, of the pledge delegates. We, and he was so improbable. No and, one would have ever thought. No. And none yeah. of us have can have any idea what it's like to be that close to mm-hmm. winning a race of this magnitude and losing. And Bernie Sanders bowed out gracefully. That said, not all of his supporters in this room did, but he personally, I, I don't think, I have not heard a single criticism of how Bernie Sanders himself uh, mm-hmm. carried himself at this at this convention. Well, and this is a pretty unified party. I mean, you know, when you look at surveys, they say now almost 80%, if not more of that, uh, of Sanders supporters are going to Hillary Clinton, which is approaching what uh, Hillary Clinton would like and what most uh, people who run in primaries are getting. The Democrats, you know, for all the vocalness, you know, I don't know if that's a word. For, for I'll take it. For Vocalness. It's a word. I made it up. Uh, vocalness. For, it's like an R&B group. Like for, every, <laughs> for everything you heard in here in a very loud way, you know, Republicans actually, surveys show, to be less satisfied with yeah. their nominee than Democrats are. I want to try a thing. I'm Sam. I'm Domenico. I'm Susan. And together, we are, we are vocalness. We are vocalness. <laughs> <laughs> Opening for Alicia Keys. Uh, Alicia, or, please. Oh, no. <laughs> okay, I think we need to wrap this thing up. We're going. Um, can we make what? Can we just say one final thing? So we did also outside of the arena today. We did learn that there may be one person that Donald Trump is not willing to disparage in any way. And that is Michelle Obama. Mm-hmm. Apparently, sure there was a lot of anticipation after her speech that was given really high remarks across the political spectrum yes. of whether Donald Trump, who likes to use Twitter as his medium in order to react to a lot of these speeches. Today, he gave an interview to The Hollywood Reporter, and he was asked about her speech, and he said, I thought her delivery was excellent. I thought she did a very good job. I liked her speech. I found it interesting that Donald Trump would say this about uh, about Michelle Obama because you remember who liked her speech as well, which was his wife Melania, <laughs> and, and and not and not just because she lifted lines from it, but because she uh, from her speech, but because she actually said that she she kind of likes Michelle Obama. Um, and my grandfather used to say in Italian, uh, "Il pelo della donna si tira un treno," which means a strand of hair on a woman's head could pull a train. So Donald Trump would not criticize. You know Michelle Obama, <laughs> and his because his wife likes her. I mean, you know. <laughs> All right. The other thing I want to say, the, the one thing that has been missing from this convention, very different than last week, is the subject of terrorism. You really haven't yeah, heard very true. much that's about true. it at all. Uh, you heard a little bit about 9/11 and the uh, you know approach that Hillary Clinton took again on the softer side of things. But what is going to be the Democratic messaging when it comes to terrorism? The Clinton campaign continues to insist that it will come up here, but you know these are two starkly different realities for two parties where you have half the country or a little less or a little more on the Republican side saying that they are petrified and fearful of the future of the country and what is happening as far as terrorism goes. And the Democrats at this point have completely left it blank. So we might hear a bit more about that tomorrow when who else speaks? Who's speaking tomorrow? Well, the commander in chief, President Barack Obama. So that guy. If anybody should have some remarks about how to combat terrorism, it's likely to come from him. Uh, We'll also hear from Vice President Joe Biden. The big question mark, unless, correct me if I'm wrong, they still haven't announced when Tim Kaine, the vice presidential nominee, is going to speak. So it's possible he's going to speak Wednesday night. The Clinton, the DNC has not made that clear yet. If not, there's only one other night option for him, which would be Thursday. Usually they speak on Wednesday. Um, But tomorrow the headliners are uh, the president and... 
the vice president. I would say that I covered, uh, it's interesting to me to hear a sitting president, I have not heard that at a convention because the last convention where that was possible was in 2008, uh, outgoing President George W. Bush. But at that point, he was so unpopular yeah. that it was seen as a, a bad idea to have him come speak. So it's a very different reality where President Obama's approval ratings are over 50% right now and that they're eager to have him here. Yeah. All right, vocalness, sing us out. <laughs> no. <laughs> all right. All right, we're halfway through. Talk tomorrow on day three. Thank you all for writing to us with your questions and your feedback at nprpolitics at npr.org, especially if you send a voice memo. And yes, you can do that. Make sure you tune into your radio for NPR as well. For more of our political coverage all week long on Morning Edition, All Things Considered, and Weekend Edition. And you guys are in for a special treat. I've missed her a lot this last week or so. Tamara Keith is going to be back on the saddle tomorrow night and Thursday night. Uh, she's been with Hillary Clinton, but once Hillary is here in this building, Tam will be with us. I'm excited about that. So we'll see Tam very soon. The fourth member of vocalness. The Beyonce of vocalness. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the NPR Politics Podcast. Wow. You, just call, you call me Michelle. <laughs> Not Obama. Michelle, no, call, Michelle Kelly Williams. Rollins. You're Kelly Rollins. <laughs> oh, thank you. Bye.